Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. And this will be on CT of the Spleen, a very classic topic. And I just gave this talk, or a part of it, at the UCSF meeting in Nexus. A very, very, very nice place to be. When it was 20 in Baltimore, it was 86 there. So let's get started. Now, splenic lesions are kind of a challenge. There are lesions, most of which are going to be benign. There are lesions that are important that are non-neoplastic, like infarcts and abscesses. And then, of course, there's malignancies, most commonly metastasis, but also primary tumors, such as lymphoma. When I lecture about the spleen, I always like to make the point that at the end of the day, most splenic lesions are benign. The spleen is hard to biopsy. We biopsy occasionally, but most lesions are simply followed or, as some people would say, ignored. There's a challenge in that we speak about liver protocols and renal protocols. There isn't that much for splenic protocols. Most studies are done with single phase acquisition. Some are done with dual phase, but there's not a whole lot of tricks. And the fact is that other imaging modalities can be useful in the spleen, but no modality has called the spleen home. Now, when I look at a splenic lesion, there are a number of things I do, and let me kind of approach it. I look at the history, because if a patient has history of melanoma and the splenic lesions, I think METS, and if the patient is febrile, I think abscess, and if the patient has endocarditis and it's wedge shape, I think infarct. That, very, that much is very easy to do and should be done in all cases. We also can look at prior studies, and if a lesion is there 10 years ago, it's likely that it is indeed benign, and it's probably hemangioma, hematoma, or cyst. We look at lab values, and we look at CT findings beyond the spleen. You see a lot of nodes and splenic lesions, you better be thinking about lymphoma. You see liver and splenic involvement, you better be thinking about lymphoma, metastasis, and sarcoidosis. So those are all very important. When we look at the CT scan itself, we look at the lesion, whether it's solitary or multiple, we look at size, we look at enhancement, we look at additional findings beyond the spleen. So there are a number of things we can look at. But again, as I said, at the end of the day, most splenic lesions are incidental findings and most are benign. It's not a surprise because if you think about it, we don't often get a requisition that says CT of the spleen. We do sometimes as part of an FUO or left upper quadrant pain, but invariably it's because the spleen is there. It's the same reason with the adrenal glands. We do select imaging of the adrenal for specific conditions, but we always see the adrenal and we always see the spleen. So some basic factors. One, normal spleen, 13 centimeters is top. Though again, shapes will vary. We can talk about volumes, which I don't mention. We talk about the presence of accessory spleens, which are indeed common, usually located near the splenic hilum. And of course, the challenge is not to confuse these with um, uh, lesions, perhaps nodes, or perhaps a tumor of the tail of the pancreas. Lobulations are very common and do not necessarily mean infarcts or other pathology. If you did a non-contrast scan this, or a contrast scan at about 90 seconds, the spleen is typically lower attenuation than the liver by about 10 Hounsfield units. Of course, when you scan early, the spleen is very bright and will be denser than the liver. 
We talk about flow through the spleen, and there's variable flow through red and white pulp. And so one of the things you end up with is, of course, is this mosaic pattern, which can be challenging if you're not used to it, particularly with fast injections and especially in patients with poor cardiac output. The splenic moray pattern can simulate pathology. Now we talk about the spleen, we talk about the possibility of multiple phases, though in most cases people are scanned in the venous phase at about 60 to 70 seconds. We do arterial phase if you're looking for a bleed. We do arterial phase in looking for tumor infiltration, perhaps, and when we do part of a dual-phase study. But for routine splenic involvement, usually a single phase is okay. We do thin section CT because we want to do reconstructions as needed. We talk about patterns of enhancement, and this serpentine or moray type of parents is most classic, most pronounced with fast injection rates, or exaggerate in patients with cardiac uh, output issues, uh, splenic vein occlusion, portal hypertension, or other possibilities. And you can see it very nicely in this case. If you didn't know better, you would say, oh my goodness, this patient has splenic lacerations or an infiltrating tumor. Oh yes, by the way, you see an FNH in the left lobe of the liver. The easiest way to understand this lesion is to recognize that if you wait 30 seconds, the spleen will be iso-intense. There was no moray pattern present. This is a normal spleen. No, it's not tumor infiltration that became iso-dense. And you can see it here as well, and here as well, and on coronal views here as well. That's just a very common finding, and you do want to be very careful not to confuse it with pathology. Now, other things we look at are splenic arterial anatomy. This is important, particularly if you're going to do a laparoscopic splenectomy. The average number of branches to the spleen originating 3 to 13 centimeters from the hilum is between 6 and 12, and that's called the distributed pattern. A magistral pattern consists of a long splenic artery that divides 3 or 4 times near the hilum. And here's just an example of a magistral type. Those are, of course, much easier to deal with if you're doing a laparoscopic splenectomy. You can see from these examples how nicely CT shows you the splenic artery all the way to the hilum. So things like splenic injury, things like splenic artery aneurysms are all easy to see with CT. Similarly, on the venous side, we just scan late enough, usually at about 70 seconds, and you have good venous visualization of the patient's splenic vein, and in this case, splenic vein, portal vein, and SMV. One thing we do talk about in the spleen is situs, which refers to the position of the heart and major abdominal organs relative to midline. The spleen has a number of variations which we can go through, but I won't do that in this talk, but just mention a couple examples. Here's a nice case with situs inversus with polysplenia. Look at the multiple spleens in the right upper quadrant. You can see the sinuses reverse with the stomach on the right side as well. Now, beyond this polysplenia, we can see multiple spleens, but that's typically with accessory spleens. And it's common in up to 16% of cases, and if you look harder, probably more than 20%, usually 2 cm or less in size. They enhance very similar to the spleen. Uh, though the very tiny ones may not. The challenge is at times, accessory spleens can simulate pancreatic pathology, renal pathology, adrenal pathology, or even implants from a tumor. 
We talk about this article by Mortel. Most of the accessory spleens are around two centimeters, enhanced just like the normal spleen. It can be challenging because they can be vascular if you scan early and they're positioned by the tail of pancreas, they can simulate a neuroendocrine tumor. When patients have had trauma, you can see multiple spleens present. Splenosis can easily be recognized, but it can be confusing because you can present as pulmonary nodules, you can present as implants. In a patient with a known neoplasm, you're often concerned perhaps that it can look like carcinomatosis. So examples, here's a patient with a spleen but there's an accessory spleen anteriorly. Or here's an example with an accessory spleen classic near the hilum. Again, look at its enhancement on the early phase imaging, matching identical to the normal spleen. You can see here multiple splenules present and a native spleen still present. And you can see in this case what looks like a left adrenal mass on the lowest images through the chest on a chest CT. Then when you get the abdominal CT, you notice that the left adrenal is indeed normal, and this lesion is sitting right near and just above the adrenal. Here it is on a coronal, and here on the coronal you can see as you move away, very nice visualization of the left adrenal. So you want to be very careful because you can see the mistake you can make in this example. We also can see accessory spleens, in this case just anterior to the left renal vein. It's a good-sized lesion. You might think about a mesenteric mass. Could this be a carcinoid? Could this be a large node? Could this be a desmoid tumor? You can see it nicely on the 3D mapping. And again, the importance is to look at enhancement. If you have the spleen in place, you compare it to the spleen. I guess the question people ask me is, what if the patient's had a splenectomy? Then it's trickier. Then in your mind, imagine what the spleen would look like. Here's just a few more images showing that. Here's another example, again, very similar case. And here's an example of splenectomy with splenosis with multiple splenules in the region of the splenic fossa. In this case, fairly easy to recognize. You can see it can be low-lying. And you can see here, there's one sitting right in the midline at the omentum. Again, you could confuse this with malignancy. You want to be careful. And again, here's some 3D maps showing you the left upper quadrant as well as the midline lesion. So again, it's very important to consider this possibility. It's often somewhat tricky because it's only when you get fooled do you recognize it. Because of the location, it's not uncommon for some of the accessory spleens to abut the stomach. Here it looks like a number of splenules sitting at the GE junction. In fact, these simulated a gastric tumor because it was simply pushing on the stomach and you wondered if this patient had a primary gastric process or not. So again, you want to be very careful. If you're uncertain, tagged red blood cell studies can be done. But again, look at the enhancement and consider, and again, if you think about the splenectomy and splenosis, you'll make the right diagnosis. But I will admit at times it can be somewhat tricky. In terms of uh, accessory spleens or splenules, the real issue is when it involves the pancreas, can it simulate a neuroendocrine tumor? We also note complications in patients post-left nephrectomy that you can be fooled. This was initially read in a non-contrast CT scan as recurrent renal cell. It's simply the spleen falling posteriorly. And here it is on the 3D rendering again 
with volume rendering and with MIP. There's no recurrence. We also talk about the relationship of the spleen to the pancreas, how the spleen sits near the splenic artery and vein, and where the vessels enter the spleen, there's a bare area. And so processes like pancreatitis, which could involve the pancreas, can track along the splenic artery and vein and present with intrasplenic pseudocysts. Also, it can lead to rupture of the spleen. Also, it can lead to development of splenic abscesses. So it's an important thing to think about. And you can see here, this is a nice schematic showing you how accessory spleens, if they just position medial, they can simulate a uh, pancreatic lesion. So here's a nice example of what looks like maybe a neuroendocrine tumor in the tail of the pancreas, but compare enhancement to the spleen. And you can see this was an intrasplenic uh, a, a intrapancreatic splenule. So again, very, very nicely shown, but you could see why it can be difficult. Here we at least look at the spleen, the density is the same. With a neuroendocrine tumor, things would tend to be brighter. But again, look at the images and it can be really tricky. Very nice example showing you the connection or the intimate relationship to the spleen proper. And just a few more images just to make the point. We have seen several articles published about this whole feature recently, and again, the same comments about the possibility of what the problems are. We talk about, uh, for example, in this article by uh, Barella talking about accessory spleens and the relationship and the enhancement patterns, and we talk about this article by Colquia also looking at these intrapancreatic accessory spleens and how to make certain we don't have a mix-up where we call them a neuroendocrine tumor. The reader should look for enhancement of the intrapancreatic accessory spleens matching the enhancement pattern of the spleen on the multi-phase study. Furthermore, routine evaluation of the splenic vein should be performed with each lesion as occlusion of the vein has been associated with non-functioning neuroendocrine tumors. So that can indeed be helpful, but if all fails, 99M technesium-labeled heat-damaged red blood cell scintigraphy, or MRI, may prove to be helpful. Now, we do have a number, so that's kind of the basis, that's kind of splenules. And then we go into the category of looking at splenic cysts and benign splenic tumors. So I guess I can start this now, but why don't we wait a few minutes and let's come back and pick it up right here. See you in a few minutes. Bye.